I don't know if any of you have had the pleasure of um, being at a presentation in which uh, Susan, uh, Ken, Ken's wife, Susan, has been um, given or charged with the um, task of creating a picture concerning the message. Has anybody been there for that? It's pretty cool. So what it is, is uh, the speaker would be speaking and, and Susan would be on stage and there would be a large canvas and she will, she will draw something and, uh, and it's reflective of what the speaker is speaking about. And in those initial brushes, uh, brush strokes, in those initial um, strokes, you, you have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, in those initial strokes, you're kind of puzzled, like, whoa, what's this about? But, and it's very near the end, quite frankly, which blows kind of me away, but near the end, you're kind of like, oh, I see it. I see it. This is what all those strokes were about. This is uh, a good analogy for us when we think about the covenants of God. Covenants of God basically were, were stipulations or uh, the mandates from God as to how he would relate to humanity and how we, uh, humanity was to relate to him. And so there were covenants throughout history, and we've started to look at them. But these covenants are like those Susan's brushstrokes. They are, are you, you can't really tell what is going to come of it. But ultimately, it becomes very clear. And do you know what they become, the, the picture becomes? The picture becomes Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what the brushstrokes of the covenants lead us to. They lead us all to Jesus Christ doing what he was born to do, dying on the cross, so that he would be imputed our sin and we would be imputed his righteousness. That's what the covenants are. And so we started to take a look at some of them um, from the word go back in Genesis. Um, and we've taken a look at the Edenic covenant uh, with, Paul, with Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden, and then the Adamic covenant with Adam and Eve again in the garden. And, and we're starting to see, I'm trying to sort of, <laughs> from, from Eden, give you insight to Christ. And so in, in, in Eden, you get this idea of what God's heart is for us, for humanity. But you also get a very clear sense that he is absolutely, thoroughly, completely intolerant of sin. And that the consequences of sin is death. And then in the Adamic covenant, we, we, we see the consequences for sin. And, 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 and we, we find out about, you know, the, the hard labor for men and for women, the, the, the animosity that would exist in their relationship, and ultimately that they would not live forever anymore, that they would die. And so we, we see the consequences of sin, but we also saw something really cool, and that was that there was still hope. There was grace given to Adam and Eve. 
even though they blew it big time. <laughs> they broke the covenant with God. But there was this picture of Satan being crushed by the seed of the woman. And so we, we know that that is Jesus Christ crushing the head of Satan on the cross. And so that's where we're at so far. And, and we've been using what I would call a, a rubric, a, a, a sort of a method of looking at these covenants. And, and here's the rubric. It's that we take a look at the covenants of God, whether they're conditional or unconditional. Conditional being like God's promises are conditional upon our obedience or whether they're unconditional. It's just God's, this is saying this is the way it's going to be. This is your new reality. Secondly, we've been taking a look at the fact that all of the covenants are imposed by God for our benefit and for his glory. And then finally, most importantly, as we lead up to Christmas, we've been taking a look at how these covenants start to be those strokes which come together into this picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. So today we're going to take a look at the next one. It's called the Noahic Covenant. You got it, Noah. <laughs> uh, the covenant that God had with, with Noah. And in order for us to sort of all get on the same page, I'm going to go through some, some snippets of the narrative in Genesis uh, 5 right through to 9. And so uh, buckle up your seatbelt and just be reminded of the story of Noah. Uh, I'm going to start in Genesis 5. 1, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, blessed them, and he named them mankind or man when they were created. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. And after Seth was born, Adam lived 600, sorry, 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. We know why he died. <laughs> because the covenant was broken by Adam and Eve. He died because that's the consequence of sin. Genesis 6, the Lord saw how great... Oh, I need to just preface this a little bit. As commanded by God, mankind started to multiply. And unfortunately, just as the population of the earth multiplied, so did the sin of man. To the extent that we come to Genesis 6 and it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Think about that. Only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe out from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures, that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God speaks to Noah, and, and he says, I'm going to save you and your family, and, and I'm going to save two of all of the different species of animals. I, I want you to build an ark. And, and we have this crazy story uh, recorded of, of Noah building an ark in what is most likely a very arid country in which he was living. Genesis 6 says Noah did everything just as God commanded him to. And then we go to Genesis 7. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. 
The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Everything, every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had, been breath, had breath in it, in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People, animals, the creatures that move along the ground, and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those with him in the ark. Genesis 8. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, and all the animals, all the creatures that move all, along the ground, and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah said, or Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some uh, of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed birth offerings on it. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though the, every inclination of the heart of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And then Genesis 9, Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear of the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on the birds of the sky and on every living creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall shed their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase, it, increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with them, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, livestock, all the animals, all those came out of the ark with you. Every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures and every kind. Never again will waters become flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me 
and all life on earth. So there's snippets of the story of Noah. And we need to take a look now at just, you know, what were the highlights of that covenant, the terms of the covenant. And I've broken it down to, to the, 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 the terms of the covenant for earth, the planet, as well as for Noah and his descendants, us. Firstly, the earth. Living creatures were to repopulate the earth. Seasons would continue until the earth no longer endures. And there would never be a flood of such size and calamity again, so that not all of the creatures of the earth would be killed by a flood. So that, that's what God said was the new reality that, that he would do in regard to planet earth. But then to humanity, to Noah and his descendants, he said, repopulate the earth. Rule over all creatures. Animals can be your food. But don't eat meat that has blood in it. And then he said, death will be given to those who take life. And then he said to them, humanity, you will never be destroyed by the flood again. Now we've got to remember that those are the terms of this covenant. But remember, the Adamic covenant, the covenant that just came before it, was also an unconditional covenant. <laughs> You've got to remember that. So all of that, what God said to Adam, was still in play. And so now we have two covenants that are guiding God's behavior towards man and his expectations from them. So let's take a look at our rubric. The covenants of God are both conditional and unconditional, and we know that this is an unconditional covenant. That's why we still have never been destroyed by a flood. That's why we still see the beautiful rainbows in the sky. We have this covenant from God saying that he would never do that again. Read in Genesis 9, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So we still see, yes, as we've seen the last few weeks, catastrophic flooding. But never again will the whole earth be destroyed by a flood. So it was an unconditional covenant. The next thing, the covenants of God are imposed by God for our benefit and his glory. How can this covenant, the Noahic covenant, be for our benefit, for the benefit of humanity? Well, the first thing is this. It wasn't a complete reset of the Garden of Eden. In other words, Noah didn't have it like Adam did. Sin had entered the world still. Sin and its consequences were still at play and at work. But one of the great benefits is that even though it wasn't a complete reset, the earth was cleansed of the cumulative effects of compounded sin. Let me say that again. The earth was cleansed of the cumulative effects of compounded sin. Did you know that sin accumulates just like snow on a winter's night. 
Did you know that it has not just a single effect, but it has compounded effect? It had compounded to the point when Noah and his family were alive that every thought <laughs> that humanity thought was evil. Think about it. Think of the violence, the rape, the immorality. Think of the, the lying. Think of, it's hard to think about. But that was the state of humanity. And if sin, if it's unchecked, grows and builds, it accumulates, just like snow. So one of the blessings was that Noah was given the earth free of all that. And that's a definitely a benefit. It was also an opportunity for humanity to get it right. <laughs> it was graciously afforded the, the second chance, if you will, the opportunity to get it right. <clears throat> the problem here is that we need to re recognize that, that sin was not eradicated by the flood. Once again, Noah didn't have the same conditions as Adam did before he sinned. Sin was there. We know this because even within chapter 9 of Genesis, <coughs> we find Noah drunken, lying naked in his bed. Like, <laughs> Noah was a sinner, just like you and me. Right? So we find him drunk in his bed, even after, you know, this beautiful scene of, of God showing the, the rainbow. The next scene, literally, the next verses are him lying drunk in his bed. So, sin has not been eradicated by the flood. Nothing has cleansed humanity from that disease. However, Noah had a lot better footing than the rest of his generation on trying to live for God. Because he was different than his generation. Here's another thing. The threat of complete destruction by flood was removed. That's a relief, right? <laughs> Especially for Noah and his family. Like, oh, man, I don't want to live through that again. Also, permission was granted for the state lovers here. Permission was granted to kill animals for worthy purposes, and eating steak was one of the worthy purposes. Also, sacrificing to God was a worthy purpose. And then finally, security was enhanced by the threat of capital punishment, which means that God in his justice said, if you take a life, your life will be taken. And so there was a new justice established by God for Noah and the earth. And that justice was that if you take a life, life is so precious to me, life is so important to me, your life will be taken. And that provided a sense of security, I'm sure, for generations to come. Now look at this cute picture. See, you know what? Noah and the Ark has been adopted by the creators of children's literature as a, as a very cute story with lovable little animals. And this is super cute because the beavers are eating a hole in the boat. 
and it's described as uh, Noah's beaver problem. Is the name of, is the name of this picture. <laughs> and, and it's cute. This is how we take a look at Noah. But you, you know what? It, it was far from a nursery rhyme what happened. It, it was an occasion in which the wrath of God was unleashed on all but a, a very small, infinitesimal small number of beings. And that's why maybe it's hard for us to move on to this next point, that God could be glorified through such a judgment and then his promise after the judgment. But we need to remember that even in that judgment, God was glorified. God's outstanding qualities were amplified. His supreme sovereignty, his ability to invoke judgment, his sovereignty was there. His power was displayed. I love this idea. It reaffirmed the inherent worth of the creation. Noah did not land on a mountain and then looked around as the water receded and it was like, where, where are we? This is different. No, he looked around and saw the beauty of creation that God had created. Remember what God said? It is good. And so it was reaffirmed, the, the beauty of the creation. His justice, that he can at any time exact justice, his judgment on, on, on those people who every instinct that they had was sinful, and his justice to save the righteous, to save Noah. And then finally, and this leads us to my last point, the saving grace. His saving grace. You see, Noah, as we said, was not perfect. Quite literally, if God had wanted to, he would have been justified in killing Noah. You know that? Noah wasn't perfect. He didn't deserve to be saved. He wasn't worthy of the ark. See, we get that mixed up sometimes. We think, well, he was righteous. He was a good guy, so therefore he deserved to live. No. <laughs> if you sin, you deserve to die. One sin. Don't forget that. <laughs> it wasn't that Noah was just this great guy. I mean, he looks awfully cute in that picture, I get it, but he was a sinner, just like me. So why in the world did he get saved? And so if you're a deep thinker and you're staying with me, something's not adding up at this point. How come Noah got saved? Yes, he was righteous. So let's move on to it. Progressively, God's covenants explain Jesus Christ. What does the story of Noah have to do with Jesus Christ? We read in 
Genesis 6-9, the answer. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Should be troubling to you folks. You should say, that doesn't make sense to me. How can he be righteous? Because we read in Romans that there is no one righteous. Not one. So how can Noah be declared righteous? And Paul says, nobody's righteous. You see, this is what they're talking about when they say, well, the Bible's always conflicted. It's always contradicting itself, right? You know, there's a perfect example. Noah's righteous. No one's righteous. People will say that, but they don't know what they're talking about. Let me explain. Noah was saved from destruction because he was righteous and therefore not worthy of condemnation. How was he righteous? Well, it wasn't because he was sinless. We know he was a sinner and we know that he sinned. And we know that he was worthy of judgment just like anybody else that died that day or in those 40 days. But Noah was deemed to be righteous. Stay with me. It's hard, but stay with me. Noah was deemed to be righteous because of Jesus Christ. And so again, we see the covenants are the brushstrokes that ultimately reveal Jesus Christ and the significance of his life, death, and resurrection. You know, it's not hard for us in the year 2018 to say, well, yeah, we're right with God because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. But Noah lived thousands of years before Jesus Christ was even imagined. So how can he be righteous because of what Jesus Christ did? Are you with me? It's puzzling, right? We've got to be clear about this. I'm going to keep hammering it home. Paul writes, no one is righteous. In fact, the only way anyone, any of Adam's race, can be declared righteous is faith in Christ's redeeming work on the cross. Our righteousness is not actually ours. Lest we think that we deserved salvation. You don't deserve salvation. Our righteousness is not actually ours at all, but Christ's imputed to us. We talked about this during communion. It was imputed to us. We are clothed in his righteousness. So how could Noah be declared righteous? Well, his righteousness and the righteousness of all of the righteous we read about in the Old Testament. Name me somebody who was declared righteous in the Old Testament. Anybody? Abraham was declared righteous. Right? Well, he didn't know anything about Jesus. Right? There's tons of righteous people. Tons of people who are right with God. Tons of people who, you want to use colloquial terms, saved in the Old Testament. But it's not by anything they did. It's entirely upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's why we say Scripture and history points to Jesus Christ from the beginning and points back to Jesus Christ from eternity. Jesus Christ is the central figure in all of history, and what he did on the cross made Noah righteous. So you might say to me, that's really hard to accept, and Tim, I think you've lost it this time. <laughs> well, look at Scripture. 
Let's look at Romans 3. Because it probably had lost. Can't lose something you never had. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> oh, I'll get you back. Let's look at Romans 3. You got up there, Kenny? There you go. This is what Paul wrote about righteousness. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Just, just, we don't have time to go into this, but people, the Jews during Jesus' day thought they were righteous because they followed the law. And Jesus pointed out to them, you're fooling yourself. You're not following the law. Oh, you haven't committed adultery. But have you looked at some woman lustfully? Boom. You've committed adultery. You know? Oh, I haven't murdered anybody. Jesus said, well, have you hated anybody? Boom. You've committed murder in your heart. So nobody is made right with God. Righteousness does not come through the law. So Paul writes, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So we get it. Righteousness is through Christ alone. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. We get that too. To be received by faith. Faith. Now, here's Noah. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because, and this is Noah, this is Abraham, this is Moses, this is all of the saints who lived before Jesus Christ but were right and are with him in glory. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. In other words, Noah didn't get what he deserved because Jesus did what he did. Years, years, years later. God did not exact punishment on Noah. But there is something that makes the difference between Noah and the people he's living with. Does anybody know what it is? Faith. Faith in God. So we see in the story of Noah this concept of righteousness that is by faith. Not by anything else, but by faith. How did you become a Christian? By faith in Jesus Christ. So Noah, he would have no idea about Jesus Christ. However, he was faithful to God in what he did know. And God credited Jesus Christ's righteousness to him, even though it hadn't come to pass yet. Do you get that? It's important that you get that, because if you don't get that, you might think Noah was good enough to be saved. He wasn't. <laughs> he deserved what everybody else got, other than he put his faith in God. We know this because, and this is the last scripture, I know I've gone a little bit long, but forgive me. Let's take a look at Hebrews 11. I have to find it. Hebrews 11, verse 1. 
line of hair. Just throw it up on the overhead. The writer of Hebrews says this about Noah. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Noah warned about the things yet not, or not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. That's the righteousness that I have. That's in Jesus Christ. Noah got the same righteousness as I have even though Jesus Christ was in the distant future. Because God chose not to condemn him for his sin. We read that in Romans, right? He didn't. He was patient. He withheld it so that those people who put their faith in God would be made right with God. Now that's heavy stuff. But you need to know that stuff. If you don't know that stuff, you, we, we can get messed up in thinking that, you know, people earn their salvation. There is no salvation without Jesus Christ. Whether you live well before Jesus or love well after Jesus like we do, the only way you are made right with God is what Christ did on the cross. And it could be credited to you if you are an old-time an Old Testament saint, or it could be given to you even today. So, the Edenic covenant, we see God's desire for us and his absolute intolerance for sin by declaring its consequences to be death. Do you see the need for Jesus in the Edenic covenant? The Edenic covenant. See the first time, this is where we see for the first time the suggestion of a solution to man's sinfulness. The seed of the woman would curse Satan and crush his head. Do you see Jesus Christ in that promise? The Noahic covenant. See the concept of righteousness that is a result of faith that has the power to save. Do you need to see or do you see the need for a righteous Savior, the need for Jesus. All of the covenants are the brushstrokes that ultimately are Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its consistency, its truth. As we've sung today, you are the ancient God who is unchanging. And we see that as we see how you've worked out your perfect plan of redemption through time. Lord, help us to be students of the word. Help us to understand that it's only in, by faith in Jesus Christ, in the work that he did, that we can be right with you. Nothing that we have done, even if we live good lives in this perverse generation in which we live, is good enough to make us right with you and free from condemnation. We're only free from condemnation, Lord because of what you've done for us. It's a gift. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.